0: So, someone tweeted, I cooked again. Ribs, creamed broccoli, <laughs> coleslaw, <laughs> rice. Unfortunately, I forgot to make soup. And oomph, hey, oomph, I don't know what oomph is, we'll find out. Doesn't like, doesn't like baked beans, but I'm not about to go back to the stove. Uza I'm sorry. I also kind of burnt the ribs. So, Yazzie, the, the question at hand. Yeah? How, how do you burn ribs? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what? I,
1: I think I'm cursed, you know? Because, like, I try my best, but I just burn things. I don't know why. Even as a child, my mom and I always used to be at loggerheads because I'd burn everything. Maybe I'm just distracted, MJ.
0: As a person, <laughs> <laughs> you fed the ribs, and then you forgot your soup. You know, you know, it's Z- Z- Zimbabwean. Zimbabwean is not complete without soup. <laughs> so, you know what?
1: I, I didn't even think about it. Sang That's when I looked at it and I was like, "No,
0: there's something missing here." <laughs> but I was like, "Ah, okay, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see
1: how it goes."
0: That that that's fine, but but you posted the food and it looked it looked good, so so I'm I'm, I'm I sure hope if... it was. I'm the sure... feedback I got was it's good, but I mean people are under duress in these
1: homes, right? Ah!
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you can't go by that. You can't go by what people say. Okay, okay, no, okay. all right, yeah. So um, if you're listening or watching i think if you're watching you've probably seen who we're talking to but if you're listening you may be wondering who we're talking to so i'm just going to introduce so um welcome to get guy's podcast with me natasha uh we've got a really really special guest today um I, I'll, I'll 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 give it away before i say who it is so the tweet that i just read was signed off with hashtag zanu pf Must Go. so we have tandegilia moyo uh today with us Thandekile Moye is a human rights advocate, she's a researcher, uh she's a geography expert, she is a mother, uh and much more and more recently an elections observer and 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 much more. So welcome Thandekile Moye to Galing's Guys podcast We're so I'm so chuffed to have you. Um welcome and how are you? Thank you. Thanks a lot. I'm happy to be here, but please tone it down. This is all expert business. I don't want you asking me questions that will expose me. <laughs> I'm good, thanks. You're good, you're good. So um for, for, for people who, you know, may not know who you are, I've sort of described as 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 you know, I I I am aware of, of what you do, but is there anything that I have left out? Uh, when someone asks, you know, you know, Tandile, who are you? How how do you introduce yourself?
1: I identify as a writer. Professionally, that is. Yeah, so I think uh, more than anything, I'm a writer and I'm comfortable um, being introduced as a writer, yeah. And then all the other things are just things that I do. I don't know. Um, I, I also think I, I... I identify as a human rights advocate. So writer and human rights advocate are those things that I can say describe me. I'm also a mom, I'm a sister, um, yeah, I'm so many other things in yeah. my social capacity, yeah.
0: No, thank you so much and thank you for talking about the, the writing. Hopefully we'll get a chance to to talk about that. So I just thought I wanted to have a conversation with you uh, about different things um but let's just get into it maybe let's start with some of the topical things that are happening in yeah. in, in Zimbabwe so we had the recent by elections on the 26th of March um and I believe most of the results have come out if if I mm-hmm. have- correct um and I was just kind of keen to to get your views on um the by-elections I know you you shared on social media that you observed um one of the polling stations um so just wanted to really get your views on how you think the by-elections went um you know how significant the by-elections are Uh, to Zimbabweans at home and especially for some of us who are not at home and you know rely on what we see on social media so it's really good to sort of hear from someone who's actually on the ground and was actually there so if if you can tell us about the by-elections and about that experience
1: okay so um, in terms of how important the by-elections are I think, in my opinion, uh, they were important as uh, like some dress rehearsal to 2023. It was important that we see what the playing field looks like. And uh, I think it was important for voters as well. Now looking at it in hindsight and with the results in place, it was important for voters to see that they can actually vote and change things, right? Because the perception so far has always been, oh, my God, why should we even bother voting? We're never going to win. They're always going to rig, which um, may be true because past elections have shown us that elections are rigged. But the by-elections were a wake-up call for me personally because um, I've always understood that uh, the, level, the 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 playing field is unlevel. I've always understood that elections are rigged. But from what I observed on Saturday, I realized that there is a way to counter that rigging. Because at the polling station where I was, just by virtue of me being present, I think it reduced the chances of rigging exponentially, right? Because, I mean, the ballot box is placed in, well, not the middle of the room, but where everybody in the room can see it, right? So there were three agents from three parties. There were five parties contesting in the polling at the polling station where I was, but only three fielded agents. So on top of the agents, there was me, the observer, and then there were the electoral officials. What I also noticed about the electoral officials is that you know, we, we view ZEC as this rigging machine. But fortunately for us, they have to employ ordinary citizens as well to do some of the work. So the electoral officials were like our moms, civil servants, you know, just people from the community. I gathered from the conversation that a lot of them were having that they were actually from that community. Because they at some point were asked by the presiding officer if they wanted to go and vote at their own polling stations. So that gave me the impression that these people are locals, right? So looking at that entire picture, what I learned was that if we have observers at every polling station and agents at every polling station, it is unlikely that ballots will be staffed. I don't wanna use the word rigging because rigging is like an entire process that happens from since 2018, the ruling party has been rigging. I mean, uh, opposition parties don't get airplay on the media. They are banned when they want to hold rallies and protests. So rigging is like a long process, but when it comes to ballot stuffing, it is unlikely that ballots will be staffed when there are observers present. Another thing that I noticed is that there were observers from so many different organizations, But a lot of them didn't stay at the polling station the whole time. So they just came and they will peep in, you know, just stay there five minutes, go to the desk, ask for statistics. I really think that we need to make sure that there are observers that are willing to stay there for the duration of of the day, even if they give each other shifts, because by the time we counted, I was so exhausted, Nat. I don't want to lie. I, I just didn't want to be there anymore. And it dawned on me that everybody there was exhausted. The agents, the people, the, the the officials, the observers. We were all so exhausted. And I think that increases the margin of error. And I think it's at that time that there's vulnerability. If there's somebody in the group that really wants to take advantage of that period, by either tabulating the wrong details, there's is, there is so much room for for that at the end where everyone's exhausted. We got there around, I got there around 6.43, I think. But I found those people already there, meaning they'd been there to set up, they'd been there earlier than me. And judging by their conversations, they'd been there the day before. I don't know if it was for training or whatever. And we left, I got home around 3.00 but I left those people still there because after counting, they had to go to the command center with the results and then count for the whole constituency because that was just one word. So there's need for observers that can have shifts. There's need for observers that will be there the entire time because if as an observer, you're just there for an hour, you don't know what's gonna happen when you're not there. And the agents themselves, in my opinion, don't have as much room as observers because observers are accredited by ZEC. So you can ask questions. You can go and see what is happening. You can query when you see something wrong. I don't know if agents also have uh, that power. So I really think for next year, it is important that citizens volunteer to be observers. It doesn't matter what party you're from, right? Because at the end of the day, observing, that elections are run smoothly benefits everybody. It will benefit ZANU-PF when people start saying the 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 election was rigged. It will benefit uh, CCC when people uh, 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 dispute that it was rigged because if you have an observer and they see what's going on, they'll be able to tell you. So there is really need to invest as citizens we also want our vote to count. And as political parties that want to win, we have to work together and make sure that we watch that ballot box like Hawks 24-7. Yeah.
0: No, th- thank you. So I'm really interested in the just the practical process. So I've never observed or been an agent. So I think it's really interesting, because we always hear about rigging, stuffing, and all that sort of stuff. So I just want to know, so when you know, at, at the, when the polls closed, right. So who actually physically does the counting? Uh, is, is it the observe, like, like, Yeah. What, 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 what does that look like? Okay. So um
1: what happens is that these ballots are in a plastic tub, which I didn't like. I think uh, I tweeted about it. I mean, I was just imagining some crazy person coming with a knife and slashing that thing and ballots are all over the place, right? I mean, basically, or if there's a fire. So uh, these ballots are in a plastic tub that is sealed. So what happens in the morning is that the agents and the electoral officials seal the ballot together. They check that there's nothing inside. They seal it and it's locked with padlocks. And then they they strap some envelopes on it that are then signed so that if the envelope is removed, you can tell because you'll tear off the signature as you do that. So those are the mechanisms that they have in place to make sure that during the day, nobody opens the ballot. So if there's any stuffing, actually that happens. It has to be someone going there and slotting in the ballots one by one, right? Which is doable if there are no agents and if there are no observers and if the officials at the polling station are pro a particular party. But it's a bit difficult because you'd have to make sure that all the officials are in on it because they'll be watching, right? So uh, yeah, and then at the end of the day, we all go and check. The observers don't do anything. You are not allowed to do anything. Your job is to just look at what is happening. So it's the agents and the officials, they then go to the box, they check that it's still sealed, they check, they shake it, check that nothing happened to the box during the day, and then they go for a 15-minute break before the counting starts. So there's a police officer that watches the box during the break, but observers are also allowed to stay in there, and agents, whoever wants, still stays in the room. So it's also at that moment, during the break, if everybody decides to take a break and one person remains, I mean, God knows what happens. But it's, you know, Ned, um, it's also so difficult to staff ballots because during the day, what happens is that we are shown the serial numbers of all the ballot papers in the polling station. So like at mine, we had 10 ballot books with 50, no, 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 there were 14 with 50 ballots in each book. So each time a new book is issued, they announce that we have now opened book number, so, so, and so, and agents take down the serial numbers and they take down all the, this is from number what to number what. And at the end of the day, they have to account for the ballots that were used and the ballots that are remaining. So if uh, agents are there and observers too, Tabulating the serial numbers of the ballot papers that we use, it will then be difficult to have extra ones stuffed in there because now you, you, at counting time you have to find out how many votes were cast anyway i'm I'm digressing your question was how's the counting done so after the 15 minute break. There were many other observers now by the time from some from the same organization. So the presiding officer then asked that only one observer per organization remain. So we ended up having three observers and the three agents. So one agent per party and then uh, the polling officials that had been there the entire time. So first thing, counting time, you shake the box again. You see that uh, there was no tampering. The seals are still in place. The signatures are still intact. And then um, after that, the presiding officer then reads out the instructions of what the electoral act says must happen. So she 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 read out the V11 forms for us. What has to go on the V11? Uh, how the counting is done, and and all those instructions. No phones are allowed at that moment we were all required to turn off our phones and so you the the other rule is that you're not allowed to announce the result only zik can announce the result yeah so everybody counts the votes except the observers so they then um, emptied the ballot box onto the table and counted how many okay so so before that they counted how many ballots were removed from the ballot box so that they know how many ballots are expected to be in the ballot box, right? So they then counted the number of ballot papers used, the number of ballot papers remaining, and they tabulated that. And then they emptied the ballot box onto the table and physically counted how many ballots were there, and that tallied with the number that we had got from the ballot papers used. And then after that, they have to open each ballot and check for spoiled ballots. So they 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 opened each ballot paper and checked. So everybody looks at each ballot paper, which is why I was talking about exhaustion. Because the process, we started at 7.30 and finished at 123. that's just the, the the counting of the ballots, yeah. So um, then they check physically each paper. After checking that there are no spoiled votes, they then sort the ballot papers candidate by candidate according to who each one voted for. So at our polling station, there was just uh, votes for ZANU-PF, MDC, T or A, I'm not sure what they're called and CCC. So after that checking is done, they then allocate each ballot to each party. And then they count and tabulate as well. And everybody has to agree that the ballot is valid, that the, the X is 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 on PF or the X is on CCC. So they have to agree, uh, they then count, how which party got what? I think the process the process seemed quite transparent to me.
0: Okay, okay, no, thank you so much. I think it's really helpful for people to understand and like what you say that actually people can be observers. Am I correct in saying you just have to be over eighteen to be an an observer? Um, you no, know, you have to apply to the for accreditation.
1: So uh you may be over 18, but Zach, for whatever reason, I think reserves the right to decide who they can accredit. I volunteered under an organization that was looking for volunteers, the girls table. So, yeah, that's how I got, I was accredited under the girls table.
0: Okay, okay, that, 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 I think that's really, really helpful. Uh, no, thank you so much for that because I think we talk a lot about what happens, you know, during voting, but very few of us, myself included, don't really know, <laughs> you know, the actual process of what happens. So thank you for that. Um- Okay, no, so thanks for that. Um, I just wanted to get your view on uh, some of the commentary that's been going on on social media following the by-elections, particularly around Matebele land, um, and particularly around uh, ZANU-PF receiving some votes in certain areas in Matebele land. So I've seen people, um, you know, posing questions about, you know, why is it that, you know, ZANU-PF is, has X amount of constituencies or received X amount of votes? How could it be that, you know, people that were victims of genocide, uh, you know, voting... Or children or victims of genocide are voting for ZANU PF. Um, we obviously understand it's a very complex and nuanced issue. Um, I've seen your responses to 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 to, to some of the, the the commentary, and yeah, I just wanted to sort of get your take, and thought it would be interesting to hear your take on um, the matabeleland issue, <laughs> the, the one of the matabeleland issues, yes. Yeah.
1: Okay, so Nat, I mean, it's shocking that anybody votes for for, for ZANU-PF, right? Because even at my polling station where I was, I was surprised to see that there was actually a pile for ZANU-PF, meaning that people voluntarily had, well, seemingly voluntarily (laughs) had gone into the polling station and put an X on ZANU-PF candidate. It's surprising. I mean, we we are an oppressed nation and it seems to us like everybody feels oppressed and therefore everybody wants ZANU-PF. Gone, but clearly, that's not the case. But it's not a question about matabeleland It's a question about why anybody in Zimbabwe would vote for ZANU-PF, you know, to then uh, pin the burden on matabeleland to remove an oppressor that people from other provinces have over the years been putting in power is quite hypocritical. Who put ZANU-PF in power? Was it Matebeleland that put them in power? When Kugurawundi was happening, wasn't ZANU-PF being voted into power by people from other provinces? So today, people expect Matebeleland to remove ZANU-PF on their behalf. That is rubbish. I mean, I, I don't, that line of thinking is quite illogical to think that you can support people while they are committing genocide on a people and then expect those same people to remove those people on your behalf. matabeleland will not remove ZANU-PF on anybody's behalf, but on their behalf. But if we look at the entire country's voting patterns, ZANU-PF has killed people in Mashona land. They've killed people in the Midlands. They've killed people in Matebele land. Why are they getting votes in the entire country if we know that they're a party of murderers? Should we then say, uh, why are the Burundi victims voting for ZANU? Why are Ramazwina victims voting for ZANU-PF? Why are victims of August 18, where we all saw in broad daylight ZANU-PF gunning people down, voting For ZANU PF? Why is anybody in this country voting for ZANU PF? It's not about Matebeleland. And what really frustrates me the most about this conversation of Matebeleland is that there are people from Matebeleland who have gone to people and said, this is how Kukurahundi victims feel. This is what triggers victims of Kukurahundi. And nobody gives, nobody cares sorry, excuse my language. Nobody cares, right? They only start to see Gukurahundi victims come voting time. Yet these people are not just voters. These are people that with real problems outside of election time, problems that nobody cares about. These are the most marginalized people in, in the country. And I'm not now just going to talk about Matebeleland. I'm talking about rural voters countrywide. You are talking about people that have no access to the most basic of needs. And nobody cares about that pre-election. We've never heard people going out to town about, hey, why are you not going to the rural areas and doing this and this and this for your grandparents? why are you not going to the rural areas and donating books to children we've never heard that we only here on election time why on earth would rural populations vote for ZANU-PF why would they not I mean that's the question why would they vote for you what have you done for them pre-election to make them think that they can vote for you and also do people in the rural areas even understand the nuances and the connections between ZANU PF and their suffering? We're talking about communities that are largely uneducated. Uh, we're talking about communities that have no access to information. They are not on Twitter. They have no, like, in deep in Cholocho, there, people don't have access to the radio, they don't have radios. So those, you expect those same people to be able to make the calculation that ZANU-PF equals suffering. They can't because NGOs don't even get to those communities pre-election for them to do voter education. Politicians don't go to those communities to do voter education. They do not care pre-election about the fact that these areas are largely uneducated. Right, so it's not even, to me, it's not a question of uh, voting for ZANU-PF. It's a question of these communities being marginalized. And are we in a position to address that marginalization before we can use them as a currency to remove ZANU-PF from power? Why should we look at people as just voters and not care about their day-to-day? So if they feel, if someone gives them two kilograms of sugar, they will give them their vote. Who are we to look at them and say, how dare you? How dare we think they can't do that? Yet we have nothing to offer them, not even our sympathy, not even our understanding. People have no sympathy for Kukurahundi victims, and I've seen that myself. On social media they have no sympathy for them when they tell them that um this is what we're facing this is what we experience they are told get the hell over it they are told why do you hate shona people why are you tribalists nobody really cares that and for us to think that people we don't care about would vote the way we want them to vote is a bit entitled
0: yeah and um i think Sort of in addition to that, um, I know other people have made that 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 um, have have made this point that I'm about to make about Zanu PF almost skillfully being able to identify people that are rooted in the community, you know, uh, being able to field candidates who you know you can say, you know, mu headmaster siamaz. And whereas some opposition parties don't I don't know whether it's just ignorance or lack of resources, it, they almost bust in candidates. So people are not going to vote for someone just because it's opposition. But if I know Upagat or if I know Lovu or talk Shop that I go to every day, and sometimes he gives me sugar, nganging elamali. Why wouldn't I vote for him? So I think there's something to be said about that. I don't know what what you think about that. It's a combination of factors. I mean,
1: um, I don't think it's about ZANU being able to identify the best candidates, but it's about ZANU operating on a system of allocating resources based on patronage, right? So first of all, the people in the community that are of any, uh, I don't know if I should call it social standing, or that have access to resources as ANU-PF members. Uh, I'll give an example of INCISA, where there is this Farai fellow who won as the MP of INCISA, right? And uh, many people are asking the question, but uh this is a shona guy how did he win in Caesar? and in Caesar, locals were asked that question in 2018 and they said to them this farai fellow is a local right they they believe he's a local and we are out here um disputing that yet the people on the ground are telling you this guy grew up in matebeleland we believe that he is one of us that's one one issue Two, there is the issue of ZANU-PF giving resources to their own people. So this Farai guy is a mine owner, a mine that he probably got by virtue of being a ZANU-PF member, and is using proceeds from that mine to buy votes, right? So it's, it's not an issue of ZANU-PF being able to choose the best candidates, but it's ZANU-PF, candidates having access to resources and therefore they can buy votes i don't know if that makes sense to you
0: no absolutely it does it does
1: yeah so so it's a combination of that and also the fact that um communities really don't look at parties rural communities in my opinion yes there are some that are pro party but then there are also some that just look at who has been fielded and do they like their person. And remember, most rural communities are related. So you'll find uh, in some communities, they'll have a relative that is ZANU-PF that they believe can be a good MP, and they'll vote for that person. So I think opposition needs to invest in going to the rural areas and finding out who is acceptable and who is desirable and also resourcing their candidates in the rural areas to be able to go out there and speak to people. And, uh, you know, rural people don't want uh, complicated things. You know, someone has been joking, Lai has been joking on Twitter about uh, these MPs that don't attend funerals. They will penalize you for that, for not being in the community and for not attending funerals. So it's the small things. But we also must understand that ZANU-PF also um, creates barriers to access. So opposition, I don't want to put too much blame on them because I understand the barriers that they face. But I also believe that there is a lot more that they could do in their selection of candidates and in their resourcing of their candidates and also training their candidates, so that they become better MPs, so that they access people against the odds.
0: Yeah, okay, well said, well said. So um, at the top, um, w- w- when we started talking, I talked about your hashtag, ZANU PF Must um, When did you start saying, you know what, I'm going to be consistent about using this hashtag? like was there an actual moment or you know or it just happened you know that I don't even know <laughs> like
1: I, I there was no moment where that I remember where I decided no I'm going to do this constantly but for me it was a realization that the answer to all the problems I was seeing was that like you know I would I, I would think of something and think oh my god you know I'm supposed to pay this bill, but they want it in Forex and I just have Zim dollars. Where the hell am I going to get Forex? And at the end of that, I would think, no, it's ZANU-Meliha. You know, because I attribute most of our suffering as a country to ZANU-PF misgoverning this country. And I believe sincerely that if ZANU-PF is removed from government and another party comes into power there is a high probability that things can change in this country so it was just me realizing that the answer to everything was at ZANU PF Moscow so I'm not the first person that used the hashtag because I remember back when I first started using the hashtag I realized it had been used before so uh, I always laugh when people say I founded the hashtag. I did not found that hashtag. I may have started the movement to use it consistently, but the hashtag has been around for a while, you know. But uh, I felt that it's an answer that I need to remind people of all the time that no, PF must go. And it was also in response to a lot of people saying, no, ED must go or Mthuli must resign. I do not think our problems will be solved by individuals being removed from power. I think ZANU-PF is a system. It's a system uh, that is so deeply entrenched in the governance of this country that it has to be removed as a whole for any change to occur.
0: Okay, okay. And so how do we safeguard against... So if ZANU-PF goes, right? Yes. Have a new party. How do we safeguard against the same sort of things happening, the same misgovernance, the same, um, you know, staying in positions long-term. Basically, how do we stop the zanification? Because Zimbabwe has been zanified. Because if you go to even just regular places of work, people have been senior managers for 20 years. No one is going, Mm -hmm. you know. So so how how do we guard against that? Because I think sometimes people are a bit wary that, you know, if PF goes, it doesn't mean that everything is automatically fixed, that we're now in the promised land. So how do we safeguard Absolutely. against that? Yeah. And they're right in thinking
1: that, Nat, which is why, my view has always been that what this country needs is a revolution. And when I say that people think, I mean, uh, people must just go to the streets and remove ZANU. No, a revolution is a decades-long process in some some instances. So what a revolution entails, a revolution can be young people, everyone getting up, going to vote and removing ZANU PF through the ballot. But realizing that after ZANU-PF is removed, we have to make our institutions independent, right? We don't stop just by removing ZANU-PF officials from government. We need to strengthen our institutions because what ZANU-PF has done is they have captured the institutions. They've captured the judiciary. They've captured the police. They've captured the army. They've captured all those institutions. So even if ccc comes into power we as zimbabweans need to demand that these institutions are restructured and that they become independent again because if we allow a new party to come into power and they just walk straight into PF boots we'll have exactly what happened in 1980, where what has changed is the oppressor but the systems have not changed so i believe what needs to happen in zimbabwe is a complete revolution where yes uh the 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 powers that be changed, but what we need to change the most is the independence of our institutions and once institutions are independent, then it will be so easy for us to remove any party that comes into power after zanu pf and fails to deliver
0: mm-hmm. okay okay well well understood um, okay before so 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 one question. Um, you know, we're we talking about ZAN-PF Must Masco. Is there any policy or any one initiative that you think this current government has done well? Is there... Uh, no, not, I'll, I'll have
1: to declare a conflict of interest, honestly, because, unfortunately, uh in my mind, these people are criminals, mm-hmm. and I I am unable to look at them as people that are capable of doing anything right because I believe they have dirty hands. Okay. So
0: there's
1: I'm I'm, I'm 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 unable to see them in that light, unfortunately. So uh, I'll declare conflict.
0: Yeah. No. No. And and, and, and and that is fair. That 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 is fair. Um. Okay. CCC, so do do you believe that CCC is a truly different animal to MDC?
1: No, uh, I do not believe that because in my mind, they are the same party that was just forced to change a name and restructure because they had been infiltrated and destroyed from within. So I do not believe sincerely we can look at them as a new animal. What we can hope for is that they'll do things differently from the MPC. What what I am hoping for is that they will not perpetuate institutional tribalism as we saw them do even with the removal of Togo Zani mm-hmm. So we can only hope that they have better policies than the MTC. That they have decided they want to change the way that they do things. But I mean, it's the same people.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, no, that that that's fair. Um. So how has well, so has state intimidation impacted your work? And if so, how? Uh. Well. I
1: live with the constant knowledge that I'm under surveillance, first of all. And the first time I experienced it, I was shaken and I left the country and went into exile for a few months. But uh, it was an extremely unhappy time for me because I felt that I was being insincere to the cause because my call had always been that we must stand up to these people. We must confront them, and we must resist them. so I did not feel I could, with integrity do that from outside the country. Hence, I came back my coming back um of like a carrot in front of the uh no pit where I can because I don't want to be arrested and I don't want to be abducted, but it's 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 a reality that is that is there, and we live with it and keep moving
0: no i i I hear you and uh, my my wish and um strong praise that 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 does not happen uh, so so thank you for the work that 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 you do um so how do you take care of your just for yourself of your mental health sort of dealing with these deep issues? You know, talking about Gugrawundi, talking about some of the real tribal issues and getting some pushback and being gaslit at times. How do you take care of your mental health? I have a
1: very strong support system and I'm really lucky that I am surrounded by people that um, that are my safety net, you know. Uh, in as much as a lot of the people in my life I cannot see physically but uh, I know that I have their support and and their understanding so I have learned to uh, take a step back when it gets too much and concentrate on the other aspects of my life you know uh, um, yeah I, I have a very solid support structure and sometimes you know I second guess myself because there are times when I do ask myself, Okay, am I really being a tribalist because at times i mean I know i'm 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 not infallible, right I know I also cross the line at times, so I'm also surrounded by people that I can ask uh what do you think of this? Do you think uh, I was wrong here or or what so it really helps me a lot especially with regards to my mental health I have people that will be like I ah, know and people that are also able to tell me ah, I don't think you I think you could have said this in a better way
0: so my support structure keeps me sane no, that, that 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 that's good to know. So just talking about sort of step, uh, taking a step back because we've talked a lot about the politics, a lot about the the you know the hot topics. But I want to to you know just talk about Tandele, the person, right? Um, so I know you've previously shared that you used to be um, a writer at a publishing house and you were writing geography textbooks. Um, for the new curriculum that, that had been in place in Zimbabwe. So I just kind of wanted to find out, how did you get into geography and environmental studies? Is that still an area that you're passionate about? Uh, yeah. And so well, it was by default, I got an a in a level geography. So
1: basically, the, the, the only uh, course I was most qualified for was geography. So that's how I got to study geography at MSU. But you know what, I've never I, I don't think I've ever considered geography as a favorite subject growing up, but I guess I had a really good grasp of it, especially human geography because I love anything to do with people, populations, uh how societies are designed, right? So I think Without knowing it, I've always uh, loved geography. And what I'm doing now is basically political geography. So I think all the concepts that I learned in A-level geography at uni are the concepts that I'm using now to analyze issues, migration patterns, population struggles, all those things. If you look at what I'm doing, you will find that it's basically population studies. And, uh, yeah, so how I got to work at the publishing house, uh, I I used to be so active on Facebook, so I would write these long big pieces about nothing, and this lady that worked at the publishing house would always say, I think you're a good writer, you know, have you ever considered writing, we We're starting this project where we're writing books for a new curriculum, I knew her from, uh, she was in my life somehow, yeah. So she kept saying that to me and I'd be like, I ah, know I'm not looking for a job in writing, blah, blah, blah. But eventually I said, let me give it a try. And I attended one of um, their workshops where they were selling this new curriculum thing and looking for writers. So they were talking to teachers. Basically, I think I was the only one there that was not in education but I was blown away, you know, can you still hear me Nat? Yes, I can. Okay, because I feel like I'm just going and going. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, you know, the new curriculum to me seemed like this noble cause, you know, it focused on critical thinking, focused on um, identifying children's skills when they were young, identifying their strengths, and that spoke to me. So I went and volunteered a bit uh, just to see what they were doing. So I'd go there in the morning, talk to the other writers, the editors, and I fell in love with what they were doing. And that's how I started to write geography books for them. So while I was doing that, like at the same time when I uh, started thinking of joining the publishing house, I also started thinking, hey, I mean, if someone's looking at me and thinking I'm a good writer, I might as well start reaching out to different editors and writing for them. So I started writing for, I think it was the Southern Times. It was just social pieces, you know, just me writing what I think. So when I got the job at the publishing house, they asked me what else I'm doing on the side. And I told them I'm a writer. I'm a freelance writer. They checked out what I'm doing. This publishing house was purely funded by the state, by the way. So they were interested in in my other work. I guess that was a vetting process. And so f- what I was writing at the time was just love stories. You know, I'm, I'm so in love with love, by the way. So I, I used to write a lot about that <laughs> and other social issues. So I guess that was good enough for them. But uh somewhere along the line you know uh you know as you read i think your consciousness also improves your consciousness about issues so as i was reading and researching for my geography textbooks i would also be asked to edit um other writers work so i would be editing history uh books and all that and I then asked them one day why there was no Kukurahundi in the books there was nothing about Mm Kukurahundi in any of the books that I had that I had edited and my editor said that he was going to write about Kukurahundi so I asked him what he was going to write my god you know that was a wake-up call for me because what he told me he was going to write and you know I loved that man he was good to me he was a nice guy right so I do not think there was any malice behind him telling me what they were going to write in the books was so the story of dissidents the story of how the government went into my tabella, you know the, the the government propaganda yeah yeah and so I came face to face with someone that i held in high esteem who believed that propaganda and who was going to put it in history books for children to read and i was shocked you know i broke down i cried and i shocked everyone in the office because i was i was trying to argue with them that this was so wrong but i had no facts right. i i only knew that this is not the correct version but I did not have the facts to back it up. So I was arguing with them and they, they had at the tips of their fingertips information, enough information to counter what I was feeling. So all I had was my feelings that this was wrong. And that set me on a journey to read about Kukraound. Because when I then started sobbing in the office, I shocked them all again. And they said, if you feel so strongly about it, you write about Kukuraon. And so I was like, no, that's fine. So I started reading. I think they were, they were saying that to gaslight me. I'm yeah. sorry to say. I, I don't think they really intended to let me write about it. But you know, as a way, because they'd realized I knew nothing, I guess, from my empty arguments. But that forced me to go and read about Kukurawundi. I didn't know much about the subject at the time. So I read about it and started talking about it on Twitter a lot. And then uh, a friend of mine said, hey, uh, you're always talking about Kukurawundi. Have you ever considered writing about it? She, she she worked at the Mail and Guardian. And she's like, I really think uh, you should send a pitch to my editor. And hear what he thinks. I was like, ah, you know, (laughs) what would I write about? And she's like, no, just write about anything. You're always talking about it. So, I mean, clearly, you've got a lot to say about the subject. And I did. I wrote my first piece. I sent it to that editor and he loved it. And that's how my journey started on writing about Gukra researching about it, talking about it. I felt I... I, I had the responsibility, self-appointed responsibility, to counter the narratives, but I had to know what exactly transpired before I could uh, be in a position to write about it myself and, and talk about it. So, yeah, that's how I started writing, and the publishing house didn't like it. Uh, they they did not like it at all, um, but because my contract allowed me to write freelance because that's what we had agreed. They they couldn't really do anything about it. So as I started writing about Gupra Undi, my political consciousness also grew and I started to write about other political issues I'd attend rallies and live tweet them. And then they had enough of me and fired me. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So so, so, so (laughs) when one chapter closed, that was the opening of of another chapter.
1: They freed me that because <laughs> even when I was writing, uh, about these issues and attending these rallies, I would have to run away from work. I'd have to lie that I'm going to such and such a place. I would have to, and I was always, you know, constantly under surveillance. So this, this surveillance business started while I was still working there, right? Because I could tell that everyone around me was on their guard when they were talking to me. People couldn't look me in the eye. So, uh, it it was like such a hostile, sadly, you know, like passive aggressive type of thing, where I could feel that, you know, I'm not wanted here, but nobody could do anything about it. So when they fired me, they freed me, and my my path really started. And yeah, I'm I'm really grateful that they fired me because I don't think I would have uh, I would be where I am today. Yeah. as a writer and as a researcher
0: yeah no 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 uh, and, and we're grateful and what, what you say just reminded me of um so joshua ngomo at Lookout masu's funeral he gave a really mm-hmm. powerful speech um and i would mm-hmm. recommend anyone who hasn't had the chance to read that speech to just google it it's there um i haven't yeah, i'll i'll do that please please do and and one thing that he says um i'll 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 just re- read out because Lookout Masu was not buried at Heroes' Egg. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And Joshua Ngomo said, you don't give a man the status of a hero. All you can do is recognize it. It is his. Yes, he can be, tem- he can be forgotten tempor- temporarily by the state. But the young people who do research will one day unveil what Lookout has done wow and that is so profound that is so so when you were saying that that you know you took it upon yourself to research Kukura Wundi like I I immediately thought of that because it's one it's it's something that has always stuck with me um Mm -hmm. and and, you know at times when I've you know tried to research certain things you know tried to research uh, our Zappu um, heroes and just Zappu history. You know, there, there was a time where I was really interested in that. And I think it helped me really understand where we are in Zimbabwe because yeah. everything that happened to Zappu cadres is <laughs> it, it, the same playbook is being used. And yeah. if the people yeah. really took time to understand what had happened in the early 80s, they would really know you know, what, 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 what ZANU-PF truly is and, and, and what we're dealing with.
1: And, you know, Nat, uh, I identify completely with what you're saying, because I had never heard of Lookout Masuhu before I started on this journey to, to research on Kukraundi. So I had never, I had never come across his name until I started reading wow. about Kukraundi. So, you know uh, those words really, I believe, are manifesting in my life right now because I am a young person that was never exposed to any of these heroes, but now I'm coming across them every day as I do my research.
0: Mm, yes, yes, I. Right? So, so long, long may it continue. You're on the right path. Um. Okay. So I know. I've taken a, a a huge chunk of your time so but, you know, it's we'll, fine. but we'll just sort of wind wind wind, wind down um, and, and just in, in in the spirit of you know learning a little bit more about you um, another thing that I wanted to sort of talk about is that I know that you you are a mom Uh, and, and I know that you, you mentioned that, 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 that you're a mom. Um, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to find out you know, how do you juggle being a mother and with the work that you're doing? And I also know that you have previously talked about some of the challenges, um, that, 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 that your son has with, with his ability. Um, so if, if you're comfortable, um, please do share that with us because I'm sure there are, there are many other women, you know, who are juggling, you know, different things and wearing many hats. Um, and, and yeah, and I think sharing is so powerful sometimes.
1: Yeah, so Nat, it all boils down to my support structure, as I said earlier. You know, I have people in my life that will move mountains for me. And uh, especially like when it comes to my son you know, my son uh, has been living with disability since he was 11 months old. He's turning 18 this year. And, you know, from the time when he started having health issues, I have never had to pay it alone, right? From his grandparents to my siblings, my friends, everybody just rallied with me to, 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 to look after him. And that's, he has never been a burden to me because i've i've had so much help my dad put him on his medical aid the day that he was born before his challenges even started so he then never became a financial uh his his illness never became a financial issue for me because he was on medical aid so from birth i got him the best pediatricians even when he started having challenges because he he had a uh what is it called? He had seizures when he was eleven months old. And that's how he's, he was then later diagnosed with cerebral palsy. So they say uh seizures happen in the brain and they cause brain damage. But he also had a lot of other challenges before he had severe jaundice at birth. They say it also causes severe brain damage. But I only I I I have the privilege to know all those things because he was on medical aid. I was young when I, I, I had a child, I think I was twenty. So uh I wasn't employed. I was just surviving on the benevolence of um my parents, basically. Yeah. So yeah. Um he got the best health care. He was diagnosed pretty early. So that has never really been a, a serious challenge for me. I've always had help in terms of um Be it nurse aides or maids. I I hope I'm being politically correct. You know, you guys now have these terms. (laughs) It's fine. It's (laughs) fine. So (laughs) forgive me if I'm being politically incorrect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've really always had support and I really pray that women have the same support that I've had because I would not be where I am without the support of the people around me. Even the relationship I'm in now, I'm in a relationship with someone that knows I have a son living with disabilities. I have a nine-year-old daughter. And that for me is my number one priority. So I like to always make it clear to anybody that is in my life that this is me. Right. And I have been lucky to have people in my life that get that and that also, uh, adopt my challenges as theirs. So it's a support system that has worked for me, even my children. I mean, I'm, I'm able to leave my children with be it my sister or my parents when I have to travel or when I feel, uh, I need a break right I, I think I'm the most spoiled person around unfortunately so <laughs> and um, yeah that's 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 what helps me to survive
0: no that, that 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 that's really good they do say it takes a village so it sounds like you you really yeah. have a village around you um and with cerebral oh sorry how 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 do you say it' it's that-
1: cerebral palsy
0: yeah apologies apologies um no no it's fine is is there like a community in in them, um, or because I can imagine it's one of those uh, things that it's helpful to at the very least have a community of maybe other parents or other people you know that are navigating and you know supporting someone with it. Do we have do we have those things in them?
1: No, Nat. That is the sad thing because you know as we speak. I've been trying to find uh, a school, basically a home for my son because uh, what happens with children with severe disabilities is they go to what you call respite care homes. So respite care homes are run like a normal boarding school, right, where your child goes on opening day up to closing day to give you a parent the chance to then also work and do other things and they come back on holidays. So he was at a respite care home in Harare, but it's too far because I live in Gwanda. And I have been trying, there's only, I only know that one home in this country, the one that is in Harare. I've been looking and looking for somewhere in matabeleland where I can uh, take my child for care. And there is no place like that. And that I've met parents, who are in such dire, who are fa- facing such dire circumstances where they can't even afford diapers for their children, they can't afford wheelchairs, they can't. It's it's so terrible because there is no support structure, there is no social service that helps uh, uh, children uh, in the same situation as mine or parents. Because you know, when you have a child with disabilities, you it ends up being like, you are the one living with disabilities because you're so constrained, right? Like I remember there's a time when I had to quit work because I couldn't find the right person to care for him. So for two years, I was taking care of him myself. And that's how I then ended up finding this harare place because I couldn't cope either. I mean, with all the help that I had, still, it was just too much. So there are parents in this situation who are unemployed, because they can't be employed. When you have a, a child with severe disabilities, you, you can't go to work, you have to look after them 24 seven. So this is these are some of the things that push me to fight for a better country. Because I mean, my life shouldn't stop because I have a child with disabilities, but I know that for a lot of parents that don't have the same support that I have, their lives stopped the day that they Gave birth to, to, to a child with severe disabilities.
0: Mm. Yeah. No. Thank Thank you so much for sharing. Um, and I think it for me it's it it shows why we need a new Zimbabwe. You know we need, yeah
1: we do desperately,
0: desperately. Um, yeah. things like healthcare, social services, welfare. You know, basic and public transport,
1: mm-hmm. right? Because I can't, I can't transport my child unless I have a car. I can't put him on a bus uh, because I'm not gonna be standing by the road waiting for Zuko for three hours with a child in his condition, right? And many of these children don't have wheelchairs, so you're carrying this 18-year-old. And this is the life that other parents are living where they have to go and wait for a Zooko with an 18 year old who is, I mean, he's got the body of an 18 year old and there isn't anybody or any service that can help them just to take them to the clinic for a health checkup. So you'll find most of these children don't get healthcare because the parents can't take them to the clinic.
0: (laughs) yeah no we 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 have a lot of work to do we have a lot of country and um i'm I'm hoping this this helps someone in some way and i know it's made me more aware um just following you and following the post that you share it's made me more aware just about just just some of the the issues that you know if, if you're not exposed to it you kind of forget that actually, you know, this, the the Zimbabwean situation it can be double or triply um, more challenging for 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 other people. So no, thank you so much for sharing.
1: No, that's fine. Thank you, Nat, for asking.
0: That's all right. Um. Okay. So so before we before we go, just a, f- a few more minutes. I'll just ask you just a few mm-hmm. questions. <laughs> so, you know,
1: okay. Okay.
0: Leave on a lighter note. Um. <laughs> What is the first word that comes to mind right now?
1: Love and gratitude came at the same time.
0: Okay. Love and gratitude. Can you use that in a sentence?
1: I'm grateful because I feel loved. Ah. (laughs) Okay. That is. Okay. So but and it's so
0: cliché, but I mean, you you I can't help it. You walked into it because I now have to ask, who are you loved by?
1: <laughs> no, Liz, I think you know, people talk about the power of names. My mm-hmm. name is Tande Hile, and I have led so many things in my life, but I've never led love. Right? From yeah. From and I'm not talking about romantic love.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm just talking about just feeling that people have pure intentions about and for me. And I've been blessed to to be so loved by my friends, by my lovers. Gosh, I don't mean I have more than one. <laughs> I mean over <all> time. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I have been so uncertain about so many
0: things, but um uh, I've I've never felt unarmed. That that is powerful. That the power of names. The power of names. I, 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 I love that. Um what is the last book that you read?
1: I've been trying to read this Stuart Doran book, uh the Kukurahundi one. Kingdom, power, glory. Okay. It's so huge, my God. And I'm struggling because I've got a very short concentration span. But that's what I'm trying to read. I've been trying to read it for over a year. Like I start it and yeah. I drop it. Yeah. So that's the last book I've tried to read. The, that you've tried to read. Okay. Um, the last one I read was A Family Affair by Sue. Oh. That was a breeze. Like I just picked it up and couldn't yeah. put it down
0: oh i i can't wait to read that i i i have it. Read it. okay no i will i will i will yeah. um what is your favorite song right now
1: i've been listening to my fours are my on repeat uh-huh for the past few days i just uh, came across it on one of my playlists in the car and i've i've put it on repeat since then so everywhere i go that's what i'm playing was who is that by uh let me just cross check i think it's buaning Gamer okay ah okay. yeah no you need to listen to that song my god you you <clears throat> must listen to it <laughs> it's like I it's, will... it's this man who's 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 gushing about being in love with someone you know they're saying <laughs> you know what yes it's saying <laughs> because Mina, i'm so in love with you yeah so i i love it i mean it's so dramatic the lyrics are dramatic you have to listen
0: to it <laughs> no i definitely will definitely will. and then last question last question
1: mm-hmm.
0: um you can only have uh, lunch with, with this one person uh, either Will Smith or Chris Rock. <laughs> Who do you <laughs> I'd, I'd have lunch with Will Smith.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Holding all other
0: factors constant. <laughs> Let's forget about everything else. <laughs> Will Smith it is, Will Smith it is. Um, Moyo, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so, so much for your time. Um, before we close, is there anything that you wanted to say um, in closing?
1: No, uh, well, maybe all I can do is encourage people to participate in political processes because, Uh, What I realized from the past election was that we don't vote. I mean, people just do not vote. I I think I saw only three young people that came to vote at the polling station that I was at. And that made me so sad because I believe that uh, PF wreaks elections by making us lose trust and confidence in the electoral system such that we just don't vote and it works in their favor. I really would love to encourage people to go and vote in their numbers because all this that I was talking about, having observers and agents, will only work if people do vote. ZANU people vote. So the only way that we can remove ZANU from power is if we also go out and vote in our large numbers.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Well said, well said. So I think we will end... Uh, on this note uh, we've been speaking to we've been speaking with uh, Tandegile Moyo Uh, thank you so much for your time I'm going to put uh, Tandegile's um, twitter information um, in the more info section of this podcast so that if you are not familiar with her you can follow her Um, Tandegile thank you so much
1: thank you so much Nat it was fun talking to you
0: thank you thank you bye Bye-bye.